0: Welcome to the Pirate's Eye podcast, produced by the Seton Hall Alumni Engagement and Philanthropy Department. I'm your host, Bianca Velez, fellow pirate of the class of 2010, and each month I'll be sitting down with an alumnus to chat about their career, their life journey, and the role the Seton Hall played in getting them where they are today, or continues to play. In this next episode, Devin McGuire, a professional baritone conductor and music educator, shares with us his journey to becoming a musical artist and the ways in which being a transfer and commuter student during his days at Seton Hall shaped his college experience. I hope you enjoy this next episode of the Seton Hall Pirate's Eye podcast. Devin, welcome to the Pirate's Eye podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with me. I'm looking forward to having a conversation with of a musician, a, a prof- professional musician.
1: Thank you. It's a privilege and it's a pleasure.
0: Beautiful. So not only are we going to talk about your musical journey, your journey as an educator, and we're going to get to all of that. But first I want to talk about your seat in hall experience and really in particular because oftentimes I think I sit with folks who have had what we would quote unquote call a traditional seat in hall experience. They came in there four years, they dormed on campus, right? And they had that full seat in hall experience. And that's what a lot of people consider to be quote unquote a seat in hall experience, but In actuality, there's so many different experiences within that university. And you came in not only as a commuter student, which means you did not live on campus, but you actually transferred into Seton Hall. And I don't think that we elevate that story enough of the transfer, the commuter, and all of these different types of experiences you can have in Seton Hall. So tell me, tell us, share with us, what was it like to transfer to Seton Hall? What was it like to live that experience as a commuter? And why did you transfer to Seton Hall? How did it happen? What's that journey like?
1: Yeah. So, um, first of all, I've lived in New Jersey all my life. I grew up in New Jersey. Um, so coming to Seton Hall, it wasn't the most drastic transfer of my life because it was, you know, familiar territory. Um, in that regard, um, my college experience was a little different than most, um, for a variety of different circumstances. Um, one of them being financial, um, I did my first two years at a County College. But I also didn't discover my love of music really until around my sophomore year of high school. And um, for a lot of music programs, you have to present a college audition. And um, because I didn't really discover my passion for music, I'm a singer and I'm a bassist as well. I didn't discover that till my sophomore year of high school. A lot of people that go down that career path, they know, you know, when they're five years old, they're writing in kindergarten, I want to be in singer when I grow up I want to be on Broadway when I grow up when they do those pictures that they draw in kindergarten and preschool right
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, I didn't have that fire until I got much older and a lot of that was due to having really great um teachers at the high school level um so I did everything I could to get myself to that level of being able to present a college audition I even um, gave up my lunch to take my music theory class because I couldn't fit music theory into my schedule. So I would go buy my lunch and thank you, uh, Barbara Retskill, for allowing me to do this. I ate my lunch. I would eat my square pizza and my little <laughs> cup of apple juice while I'd be doing uh, music theory and writing major and minor scales. Um, my I forget if it was my sophomore or my junior year, but it was one of those two years. Um, but I just... I did get into a couple of schools. I was very thankful for that, but none of them were presenting me scholarship money. Um, so I did my first two years at a county college. Mm-hmm. And, um, Seton Hall was doing instant decision days. Um, so I had the opportunity to um, go and do an instant decision day um, as a transfer student. Um, and that made it a real seamless um, experience because um, while a lot of schools might only take some credits, Seton Hall was willing to take all of my credits from both my freshman and my sophomore year of um, community college. Of course, I need to still do some of the core classes, but I don't think there is a a school in the state of New Jersey, public or private, that accepts the credits that Seton Hall does. And that's something that's really fantastic. Um, And it's an equity thing, you know, because allows people from all sorts of different backgrounds and experiences to come to Seton Hall. But also, you know, you might have a freshman or a sophomore that drops out. This is an opportunity to keep your class at around, um, around the same size. Now, granted, not every class transferred as it was. Some of the classes transferred as general electives. I still took some of the core, but a lot of my stuff transferred. So that was half of what led me to Seton Hall. But the other half was I knew that there was fantastic faculty, In the music world, Um, in particular, um, Dr. Jason Tram, who's been an incredible mentor um, to me even before I came to Seton Hall. And uh, when I spoke with him and when I told him I was thinking about transferring there, he said that I'd have the opportunity to intern under him, to serve as his assistant conductor um, in some school and professional performances, and um, really having that opportunity to work with someone who is doing so much great work in the field, it was was just a no-brainer.
0: Right, right. No, that makes perfect sense. Now, how did you really make that decision to pursue music? And I love that you shared that you you came upon it a little bit later than some folks. And I can I, I can really identify with that because I've actually been learning Puerto Rican folkloric music since twenty fourteen. So I came across music very late. You know, much later. But it is it is an interesting journey to come into music in whatever form or discipline at a later age when you see children, when they're coming at five and eight years old, they have this incredible talent and this incredible skill and they're like sponges. And so I know what the journey looks like for someone who comes into music a little later and someone who comes into music, you know, when they're such a a young child, how did you decide, I'm seriously going to pursue this?
1: Yeah, so my first love was reading and literature and poetry. And uh, I was always very shy growing up. um, And I read a lot of books. And uh, for a while, I thought I wanted to be an author, or a poet or an English teacher. But when I discovered that, and especially in choral music, um, you can combine the text with Singing and with the music, it really becomes this multi sensory experience. And that was something that really resonated with me. Also, I knew I just didn't want um, an isolated job where I'd be working in a cubicle. And I think, uh, you know, the pandemic really brought that reality to a lot of us, right? Right. Um, I wanted something where I'd be collaborating with other people all the time. So, working in the arts and working in education is my primary source of income as a music teacher. And then all of the Freelance work I get to do outside of that, Uh, you know, I'm never, uh, I'm never alone. I'm never lonely. That's for sure.
0: So that was. Now let's talk about that. Tell me what is your professional musical career and your professional career as an educator in music. What paint a picture for me for us to understand what that really looks like.
1: That's great. So like, uh, I like to think of it as a tree, and the the main um, the main part of that tree is uh, being a middle school music teacher. I'm the tenured director of vocal music at Woodbridge Middle School, where I'm in my sixth year. Um, I teach sixth, seventh and eighth grade. I teach choir. I also run a ukulele club. I've had handbell ringing programs. Um, and most importantly, I teach the general music class, uh, four sections of it every marking period where I get to teach um a lot of kids, um, all sorts of music, many of them, it's the first and possibly the last music class they'll take. Mm
0: -hmm. And I get to
1: expose a little um, fraction of what I'm passionate about to them over the course of 22 days. Um, And so I really try to squeeze as much as I can into that.
0: Right
1: Now, um, outside of that, I have a full career um, as a freelancer as well. Um, I've gotten to do some uh, some touring work as a backup singer for some um, really – high-profile artists. Um, I sang back up for the late Kenny Rogers. May he rest in peace. This past summer, I sang back up for Josh Groban. And probably the coolest thing I've ever done in the touring production, I've uh, sang um, with the Zelda Symphony, the Nintendo game. Um, What? So, like, uh, I got to go to, like, Boston Symphony Hall and the Barclays Center. I still have my backstage pass. I mean, you think of uh, basketball when you think Barclays, but I got to perform uh, Zelda music for... uh, you know, eight thousand cosplaying Zelda. That is diehard. so cool. I am I am a diehard. So I mean like that <laughs> was that that was such a cool gig. Um and the thing about a lot of this touring work that I've done is um unless you're like the celebrity, a lot of people think that like, oh, you're on this tour bus. But the reality is if you have a production that requires hundreds of people, from orchestra members to chorus members to backup singers and dancers, logistically it's impossible to transport that many people from city to city so usually what ends up happening is in some of these productions they'll hire regionally so for the zelda symphony i did all the dates from boston to washington dc and because you know we're so lucky to be in such a centrally located part of the mid atlantic um you know every all of those dates were within a reasonable driving distance that i could just drive from one to the next one or if i really had to um get back to new jersey and then go and do the following performance.
0: That is a really cool experience. I mean, I'm sure that's gonna go down in your in your book of of history, in your historical book of musical experiences. I mean, it's such a known brand, if you will, you know, the Zelda Enterprise.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I show pictures of that to my students Uh, and there's a new game coming out in a couple of weeks. So like, they're all hyped about it, but it also (laughs) like, it also shows that like, this is attainable. Mm. You know, if this is your dream, if this is your goal, like it's within reach. Mm -hmm. I mean, are all of us going to be post Malone, Ariana Grande level celebrities? Probably not. Right. But if you want to perform, you can do it uh, whether that's you know in an amateur capacity for your own fulfillment, or potentially in a semi-professional or professional capacity, and a lot of it's you know skills I learned at Seton Hall, you know, being punctual, Thanks. um, treating others with respect. Um, there are so many moving parts that sometimes you need to know when it's too many cooks in the kitchen, and you. Mm-hmm. Just need
0: to
1: <laughs> What my timesheet says, this is when I'm at catering, this is when I'm at my green room, this is where I'm at sound check, and I'm gonna be in those places two minutes before that, you know?
0: Right, right. Now, I love that you just said that because I think when it comes to music and when it comes to the world of the arts, there really is a common understanding or a common, not understanding, there's a common idea that unless you have the talent to become some big name and you're willing to take that road of trying to become a big name there's no place outside of that you know there that that is a seed that has been planted in a lot of young people's mind which deters them from pursuing music so how important would you say your role is as an educator in a middle school teaching music to these young people, how important is it that they have access to music in that well, way? Well, I
1: think music, and I'm not just gonna say music because I really think it's all the performing arts, um, mm-hmm. dance and uh, theater and um, music, all that's so critical because that teaches you how, how to get up on, on a stage or a podium or a riser and present yourself with confidence and with integrity um and since the pandemic a lot of kids haven't you know they haven't learned how to do that and it's tough you know you you think about like you know giving a speech in a language arts or a history class and like some people get up and they just giggle and that's their gut reaction because they've never had to do that before and here's the thing that's okay the first time that's okay and and if if you fumble and you need to repeat something That's okay when you're in middle school, but when that's not okay is when you get to be, you know, our age, um, you need to learn how to get past the stage fright. You need to learn how to get past the giggles and and do your job and carry yourself with integrity and confidence, like I said. And there's no better way to teach that than the arts. Because even if it's not, you know, joining a dance troupe or a professional choir, or a touring production, it it might be uh, the bench of a courtroom, or it might be the podium um, for a political rally, or it could be um, in a doctor's office or any, any capacity, or it could be a college professor or a teacher. We're all gonna encounter situations in our lives where we need to communicate efficiently and authentically and clearly. And I think music and the arts are integral to doing that. So that's what I keep reminding myself. Not every kid, um, I do uh, the West African uh, world music drumming as part of my curriculum. And the last eight to 10 days that we spend together before I lose my kids each marking period um, we spend drumming and I teach them a lot about, you know, I try to make it as little talking as possible, but just communicating, like watch my hands, watch my right. conduct. How much can I communicate to you just by the gestures that I use, you know, and they pick that up and then they're carrying, they'll carry that into anything they do. Yes. The way that they stand a little taller when they're getting in front of the class to share something in any class they might take. So, I apologize if I rambled a little bit.
0: No, I'm with you. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think that the arts are critical to learning so many life skills that are transferable in so many different ways, but also just that connection, that connection with community, that connection with individuals when you're creating music or when you're creating art together. I think there's something really magical about that, right? And so, to allow the space for that to be a mentor in that is really critically important. And, you know, you mentioned earlier that you had a mentor that was so key in your journey. And I want to kind of circle back to now that you are in the educator space, what is reflecting on that look like for you? When you talk about the importance of a mentor like that to your musical journey, why? Like, why was that so important? How do you know it was so important?
1: Well, I think mentorship in music is tremendously important. I want to get back to one thing that is on my mind real quick, yeah, too. Absolutely. Because um, I was thinking about this, and this didn't occur to me until like 30 seconds ago. But like, for a lot of the kids I teach, I'm one of the only teachers they're going to have for all three years, right? You might have a, a language arts teacher in sixth grade, it's going to be different in seventh grade, but I'm the music teacher. We have one other band teacher, but for this general music, for this chorus offering, you're going to have me all three years. So what I'm going to be teaching, you know, that's what a lot of kids are going to remember is those teachers they had for all three years. Right. And um, I was very thankful to have Dr. Jason Tram as a mentor to me my entire um, two and a half years, technically, because I took a a bonus semester um, Mm -hmm. at Dean Hall because I had something with him every single semester. Um, there's a book I read, um, or at least part of it before the, the library decided to start finding me for not finishing it. Um, it was called, Principle," <laughs> I believe it's by Ken Coleman. And it talks about how, he talks about how you want to find people that are older than you, that are doing what you want to be doing. You want to surround yourself with people that you want to be, In 10 years, that you want Mm -hmm. to be in 20 years because they've lived it, they've done it, and they're gonna pass that wisdom on to you. It's probably gonna make their job easier, and you get the benefit of having experienced that.
0: That's amazing. Did I lose you? No, I'm right here. Okay, sorry. Sorry. (laughs) I just wanted to check real quick. Um, Now, (laughs) it's circling back to that. Um, I want to know where you envision your journey, right? So you talk about surrounding yourself with those mentors that you want to be, the, the way that you want to see yourself in 10 years. And that could be career-wise, or that could just be, you know, kind of all those skills that we talked about, the level of confidence, the ability to, to represent yourself with integrity. So if we could fast forward, and and you and I are having a chat, in 10 years um what would we be talking about what would be that journey where where are you headed on your musical journey on your educator journey on your personal journey
1: yeah um and part of that i'm still figuring it out i'm a, i'm 29 so i'm kind of like in this weird uh weird position of my life where i'm like definitely an adult without a doubt an adult but still you know, a young, young, as far as my career goes, Mm -hmm. um, I definitely see myself doing a lot more conducting and being in front of groups. Um, And I'm going to be making uh, my international conducting debut um, this summer. So in addition to teaching at Woodbridge Middle School, I also um, teach at the Continual Arts Foundation, which is a nonprofit music school in Summit, New Jersey, and some of our choirs, our youth choir, our children's choir, we're going to be taking a trip uh, to Italy. That's um, amazing. Uh, and I'm going to be one of four conductors on the trip, and we're going to be doing uh, concerts and also masses in different um, different churches. And uh, one of the pieces, uh, well, I'll be conducting one of the songs in one of those masses, and it's a uh, Spirit of the Living God by Brendan Williams, who's a conductor and composer that's at Rutgers University right now. So I wanted to make sure I repped um, New Jersey um, on that. (laughs) But hopefully this is just the first of, you know, getting to do more traveling and more conducting, not just at Woodbridge Middle School, but with other groups in a guest capacity as well. Um, I'm also uh, right now just romancing the possibility of going into um, administration and possibly being a principal or an arts supervisor for a school district, and I have my uh, my former principal, Doctor John Crow, another fantastic Seton Hall alumni, um, to uh, thank for being a great mentor to me in that capacity and making me thinking about wanting to do that as well. So uh, I might be coming back to Seton Hall pretty soon to knock out those principal and supervisor certificate uh, classes. Love that. Um, so, uh, so those are the two big things that are really on my mind. And I'm hopeful to be able to do them both in a capacity where like, I can be a leader, but also continue to perform. I realize that if I become an arts supervisor or a principal, I'm not going to get to tour like I used to and travel sure. as much. But, um, you know, if the quality of the performances keeps going up, you know, I'm okay with it not being every single weekend, you know.
0: Yeah, right. That makes perfect sense. I love that. And I, I can see this. I'm so excited for your international debut. I wish you the best of luck in that. That sounds like an amazing opportunity.
1: Thank you very much. Absolutely. It's going to be hot. It's be hot to
0: Ooh. <laughs> well, I hope you, I hope you find the shade where you can. <laughs>
1: I'll do my best.
0: Now, in terms of in terms of the Seton Hall student experience, when I speak to alumni, a lot of what comes up for folks is that they found such a strong sense of community when they were going to Seton Hall. And I, I have to ask, as a commuter, do you feel the same? Did you also find a sense of community as well? Or was that different for you?
1: Yes, but it was harder. Okay. Um. So like... um when you dorm at universities, and my sisters did end up, um, or my one sister, Danielle, did end up dorming at a university. So we we had a long discussion about this. You know, there's all those icebreakers you do, but also you come to campus before everyone else, right? Right. So if you're dorming, you're coming in like a week early. So by the time classes start, you already know, you know, a lot of people on campus. Um, I didn't have that. And coming in as a junior, it took me um, a bit more time to find that rhythm but I think because of just the architecture of Seton Hall having the green
0: mm-hmm.
1: and having everything in a circle there it was just so easy just to just to meet people and talk to people and you know even if it's just sitting on the grass on the green never the seal but you know sitting on the grass um, you know it, you feel connected to the community in that way. And as I got involved in more clubs and activities, um, in particular, um, obviously the music ensembles, orchestra, jazz band, chorus, but also uh, the theater council and the, uh, the student chapter of um, the New Jersey Educators Association that goes to the convention every year. Um, being involved in all of those different groups, you know, I was able to meet people and find that community. And I have uh, friends that I'm still friends with to this day because of
0: it. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And now, when you think about the Seton Hall community and all of these alumni, we have a network of over 100,000 alumni. And I and I love chatting with alumni, although I'm not going to get anywhere near the number of... I won't be able to talk to everyone, right? We have 100,000 plus, and I get to talk to one a month. Um, but what I love exploring... Is the different perspectives, right, and the different experiences, and I always like to ask, what is something that they want to leave the Seton Hall community with, right? If there was one take takeaway from this episode, or what is a message they might have for the students that are going through what they're going, what they went through as a student? What is something that you'd like to share or say to your fellow alumni or your fellow Seton Hall pirates that? really really takes it home for us
1: i think i want to just bring back that thing i said earlier about identify the people that are you know five ten twenty years older than you that are doing what you see yourself doing um because they're going to be your biggest uh allies and your biggest cheerleaders um and uh don't burn bridges you know mm. it's, uh, with your peers and with other professors that's something i'm warning as i get older too because uh you know, you just want to make sure that you, you treat everything like a connection, of, because it's not just a connection, right? It's it's a person that has feelings. Right. And so those are two really important things. I also want to just say, you know, to the commuter and the transfer students, because I think as the workplace evolves, you're seeing more hybrid learners, and I'm mean, sorry, more hybrid workspaces, more work from home jobs. And I think in, in the next five to 10 years, we're going to see college is going to reflect that too. Sure. You know, I want to make sure those transfer and commuter students know um, your college experience is not invalidated because you, you don't dorm on campus.
0: Mm, so your
1: important. experience is just as special. You're just as important. You know, sometimes you miss something. You'll see that on Instagram and it can feel like you're being excluded. But just know that um, at the end of the day, you're all going to be walking across the same stage to get your diploma.
0: Mm. I love that. I love that, Devin. So important. So important to contextualize that in that way. Well, I want to thank you for joining me on the Pirate's Eye podcast. I love talking music, I love talking arts. So it's been incredible hearing your journey, hearing your experiences. I think that you're going to do phenomenal in your international debut. And I look forward to getting an update and keeping in contact and seeing. Where your career takes you, whether it's in music education or in professional, in your professional musical career and stages across the world.
1: Thank you so much for your time. I truly appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. More than 100,000 alumni who demonstrate what great minds can do with a Seton Hall education.